0: Zane Lowe, Apple Music.
1: Today's conversation is with a fascinating artist and human being, Demi Lovato, who's been through an enormous amount. It's very well documented and never more so than on her recent album and accompanying documentary series. If you haven't had a chance to see the series and you're waiting for the album, then you'll find this conversation super compelling. It will draw you in to an experience that whilst it is incredibly unique to young superstar artists growing up at the dawn of the social media age. What's really interesting about Demi Lovato at this point in her life is she's finding a way to connect her story to everyone's, aspiring to find universal themes on her quest for overall wellness. And aren't we all looking for that? My latest conversation with Demi Lovato right now in the interview series. First of all, Demi, we're going to dive straight into it. We're going to talk a little bit about this brand new song which acts as a title track of sorts to this this album of your life, right? Dancing with the Devil. As titles go, it's about as provocative a one in existence as you can possibly present us. When did you come up with that title? What does it mean to you? How was it bringing it to life?
0: I came up with that title because for years, I always said that substance abuse can be like a dance with the devil. And, and I've explained it that it's a very tricky thing to go through, you know? And I don't know, I just felt like it was the best way to explain what I've been through. You know, I pushed my the limits for so long and I really did dance with the devil. And fortunately, I made it out on the other side. But yeah, you know, it's something that I've kind of... this song I've had for since 2018, I wrote it in November of 2018 and and I've just been waiting for the world to hear it ever since.
1: What was going on in, in November of 2018? Where were you at that point in your in your life when you wrote that?
0: I had just come out of treatment and I was back in LA. I moved back in with my family to kind of help me stay more grounded and, and have a better support system around me after everything I went through. And so I, I lived there and yeah, I just... I wanted to get back in the studio so bad because writing music and recording it is so extremely therapeutic for me, or so in a way than performing it live.
1: Well, because it's ultimately where you get to share these thoughts in your most trusted space. And in the event there are mm-hmm. others in the room, you're just by nature of process and the need to tell the truth, you're supported. You wouldn't be doing this with anyone you didn't feel was going to support this. And isn't that kind of ultimately what this is all about, right? This is about having enough support to realize that you have the tools to support yourself. That's part of it.
0: Yes. I mean, but in some instances, you could argue with that and say, I don't have the support of everyone I'm sharing this story with. You know, that's been one of the most terrifying things about sharing my journey is, you know, what will people in recovery think about where I'm at today? And it's been Really, uh, it's been scary. I'm not going to lie. But the thing that I always remember is if I'm standing in my truth, nothing can shake me. And so it's just realizing that I have the support within myself, no matter who else supports me from the outside.
1: The last time that we had a really great conversation, a long conversation, we've spoken a couple of times since then, was around the time that you released Anyone, just before you merged back onto the world stage. We sat down on the end of a stage in a rehearsal space, and we had a really, really fascinating 25, 30-minute chat. And I loved it because I felt like it was the start of a whole new era for you, and I could see there was light in your eyes, and you were, like, excited about the future. Who is that person, even that short time ago versus today? How much growth has happened since that intention Behind the person versus the process and the reality of life now.
0: Uh, I mean I the amount of things that I've been through since just that period of time is is wild. I've grown so much. I have learned so much and most importantly, I live in the present now more so than I did when we talked last. you know even when we were talking we were talking about the future, talking about the performance
1: coming up. And I was so nervous because I I felt really like, um, I felt like I had this responsibility to sort of encourage the conversation, but not get too far ahead of ourselves.
0: Right. 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 It was tricky because I definitely like, I, I wanted to save things for my documentary and I didn't want to tell everything in that interview, but I also like, yeah, it was, it was a hard, uh, balance,
1: but even just the anticipation and excitement of the things we could talk about because you've had all that in your life. For pretty much your whole life, if you if you want to take a look at it in a timeline and, and remove all the things in between the events that are the life part, the ups and the downs and the emotions and the just look at the timeline, right? It's an insane life full of magic events. It's the kind of life that, that kids who want to be entertainers dream of, yeah? But then, so you've had all that and then we're sitting at the end of the stage and, and I'm like, well, if you've had all of that and you're still here and you're still facing these situations trying to figure it out, I don't know how much I want to get you hyped up. About the Super Bowl. (laughs) About the Super Bowl right now. Because I don't know where that factors in to you to all the stuff in between the events, the life, the balancing act between the attention and the fame and the success and the constructs versus the internal. And I didn't know where where you were balancing those two things at the time, but do you have a better grasp on that now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I can prepare for things and I can get I can rehearse and I can do all the things that I need to do to prepare for the things coming up. But I don't spend a lot of time thinking about where I am in the future. Like I'm, am I working towards completing all of my dreams? Absolutely. But am I worried about not succeeding or failing or, you know, If even, even just life, set aside the career stuff. If you, if I think too much about, like, I've, I've had a lot of death in my life. If I think about how much death I've had and I think about, well, it's been a minute. Someone's bound to die soon. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like those kind of, that kind of impending doom is what activates my anxiety. And now I've learned how to meditate i've learned how to i've begun doing mayan meditation and yesterday i did like a 40 minute meditation and it flew by like that it felt like five minutes you know like that's because i'm spending the moment in the present and not
1: anywhere else because anxiety by its very <laughs> nature is the desire to control an outcome that you cannot control yes and, and i suppose that you're right. That's why anxiety is attached to performance. Performance anxiety. I don't know how it's going to go in two weeks. Right. I don't know how it's going to go when I release my album. And here's the thing. You can't control it. Any of it.
0: Once you find the peace and letting go and just like having radical acceptance for pretty much everything in your life, like whatever course your life is taking, if if you're focusing on being the best version of yourself that you can be like, I, I don't know. I I
1: don't know. <laughs> it's okay because you said two words there that I think are the key. I don't know what the meaning of life is beyond watching my kids grow up and spending my life with my wife. But I do know that on an, on an internal level, the idea really is summed up by two words, which is let go because yeah. you ain't coming into this world unless someone who loves you, instinctively more than anyone ever will let's go and you ain't going to leave this world until unless you let go and everything in between is is an exercise in control. Yeah. But it's really not about that at the end of the day. I think about the artistic spirit and 30 years of talking to artists and that word control and how much it plays into the desire and ambition of being an artist. A lot of the time Mm -hmm. it's because you come from an out of control experience. This I can control. I can control my talent, my ambition, what I do, my team, my whole thing. I can control all of that. Are you any closer now you're on this amazing journey of self-discovery and opening your mind of identifying kind of what the original inspiration behind you wanting to be an artist was? What the fracture is or the moment when you were like, I have something I want to say and I want the world to hear it.
0: I don't have a moment that I can recall where I was like, I'm going to be an artist. It was just like this imprinted belief or vision that I had of my future that was like, I just knew that I was going to, There were certain things that I knew. I knew I was going to finish high school early and I graduated at 16. I knew I was going to be able to get my dream car for my first car. And I knew that I was going to be a singer. And like those three things, I don't know why those three things were like super cemented in my brain, but it was, it was factual for me. It was not what if it was, it was a pure belief, which I, I truly believe manifested what I have in my life today.
1: I believe in that too. I'm a a believer in manifestation of energy and the drawing as such to oneself. In the same experience that you have this idea, this, this belief of things are going to happen a certain way and they do, was there ever this kind of subliminal or subconscious dread that there was also the potential for things to go wrong in your life and that you knew there was a capacity for the give and the take, right? Were there two voices going on at any given time, and how did you sort of come to terms with that? If that's the case,
0: okay. So check it. Like when I was twelve, I was bullied in public school so bad that I left to homeschool, and it was from there that I developed my eating disorder. I started partying. You know, it was it was a slippery slope at twelve years old, and so. You're absolutely right. When I thought to myself, my career and my talent was the only thing, well, no, my talent was the only thing I had control over. At that point in my life, I felt like I had nothing to lose. I was already in such a dark place at 12 years old that I I needed something to live for at that point. And music is honestly the only thing that kept me alive because it kept me dreaming of the future. And at that point in my life, I couldn't think about the present moment. I had to think about the future to survive. Painful. It was too painful. Too <laughs> fucking painful. And so that did give me the motivation to make it to where I am today, but I think because I went through so much as a child and a teenager, I think those problems, the it's like it's it was a catch 22 my career. You know, it's like fame and everything exacerbated the the problems and the struggles that I already had. But at the same time, it kept me alive because it gave me something to work for.
1: It's so interesting because guess what? When you're faced with something that's a challenge or someone questions you or you feel threatened, you just go back to that moment when that pain was at its most visceral, right? That's when the guard comes up. So you're 12 again. You're like, Mm -hmm. I'm 12 again and I'm not thinking rationally and I'm just like, fuck you and fuck myself and fuck the whole thing, right? Because like, Totally. Because I don't trust anyone anyway.
0: Absolutely. And it was even hard for me to, to trust my fans at uh, that point in my life when I became like 15, 16 as a teenager. It, anytime I met a fan in a meet and greet and they expressed how much I meant to them, I helped. I had this like immense guilt inside of me that I even though they were expressing their their love and support for me, I had this fear inside of them because I knew what they were capable of oh yeah and I was like you may be a 15 year old girl we may be the same age but I know what you can do to me with your words and so I didn't even like meeting fans for a period of time because my PTSD from being bullied by girls my age was so intense that it it made for it made for an interesting time in my life, definitely.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we've, we have touched on this a little bit and I've spoken to some of your contemporaries a bit about this. You're astronauts, all of you are astronauts because, you know, you, you took the first flight into outer space called social media. Right. Wide global access. Oof. oof. No privacy. None. And by the way, and by the way, guess what, Demi? You got no privacy. Enjoy it. You asked for it. Yeah. You asked for it. <laughs> And it's like yeah, I didn't yeah. ask for that,
0: yeah, I went on vacation one time I was in Mexico, and this guy and his daughter just like're standing on the other side of the pool, and here I am in a bathing suit i've talked I've come out of treatment for an eating disorder,'ve talked about my struggles, and this guy's just like not even like trying to hide it like latently like like this, and I remember like something happening where my friend said something or whatever. And he was like, she asked for it. Mm. And I remember thinking like, no, I didn't ask for a grown man to be taking my picture at a public pool.
1: Without without (laughs) permission. And then, and then guess what? To shame me into trying to retain some privacy and some sense of self to, to use shameful phrasing. Like she asked for it. How intense is that statement?
0: I literally asked to be a singer and to
1: perform, Mm -hmm. but I didn't ask to be
0: a quote unquote role model. And that's why I've found that I identify with the term real model more than anything, because at least (laughs) in that sense, I've, you know, I can own up to being real because that's all I can be is transparent and honest with people. And if they like it great, if they don't, (laughs) I don't
1: know what to tell you. Well, Um, let go. That's about the best I can tell. Let go. That's about the best I can tell yeah, you, Yeah, let right? go,
0: let go. Move on, exactly.
1: You know, something that's come up in, over the course of leading into this album, and I want to talk about the album really soon because I'm excited to get into that, is when someone comes out and is really transparent and courageous about their struggles, we forget that you're doing that for you. And mm-hmm. we all all of a sudden go, oh, they're here for us. <laughs> they're making right. it all okay for us to, to do it. right. And then we start piling this pressure on of like that role model term again of like, right. oh, thank God someone's speaking up. Mm-hmm. You're so courageous. And that in itself is actually, I think, a trigger for mental health issues because it's putting everyone else's concerns on your shoulders. And we're missing the point completely.
0: <laughs> I see that because I felt like I got put on a pedestal that I never asked to be on, but in a way, I did put myself there because I talked about it so much, and I kind of spearheaded a lot of mental health things, like even reform legislation reform on Capitol Hill. Like I, I did that, and I remember thinking, "Wow, I'm I'm really making lemonade with this situation." Yeah. But at the same time, that lemonade was very very sour because there wasn't enough love and compassion in my life for myself Mm. and by me and the people around me, some of the people around me, not all of them.
1: Yeah, because you run into that opportunity realizing that, hey, I'm an artist, therefore chances are I'm an empath, chances are I want to make other people better. Right. But I don't know if I'm actually well enough to be here for everybody else. At what point did you realize that there was an imbalance there between who you were trying to be to help yourself and others versus the reality of who you actually were at that moment in your life when was it at its most imbalanced
0: I think it was at it's most imbalanced when i when it was 2018 and i was feeling miserable i had a a bad eating disorder and i was sober and i just kept thinking to myself like what is the point if i'm this miserable and at this point in my life i was kind of a poster child for eating disorder recovery. I'm now sober but miserable and I just asked myself like who who am I living for? Genuinely, who am I whose life am I living because it's not mine and it's not what I want. But I kind of backed myself into a corner where I asked for help and the help that I received, you know, led me in in that direction which worked for a period of time. Um, Until it didn't. And basically, when I realized that I wasn't living my life for myself, I started making choices for myself that in the beginning was very destructive. And I remember I even like went away to treatment after my overdose, came back and really struggled for a long period of time. Like, I still don't want to be sober. Wow. Yet, I've gone through this horrible thing. And I had to, I had to be totally transparent with my treatment team, my therapist, dietitian, case manager, all that psychiatrist, you know, um, I had to be so transparent with them so that they could help me gracefully walk through this path of trying to find the balance. (laughs) <laughs> um, in life, you know what I mean?
1: I'm sure that's on my jumper somewhere as well, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but I, it's like, it's everything to me. Like, it's it's so meaningful to me. Balance is so important. If you don't have balance, it's just, you're, you're
1: a pendulum. Oh, and balance is based on imperfection. It's based, in my opinion, in, in the acknowledgement that it's okay. It's okay, mm. you know? And I think, that, yeah, I mean, if I'm not careful, that could be a Zoolanderism. But it, there's some truth to it, right? And, and I think that you know, you know, balance is based in imperfection. <laughs> the new fragrance no, from Zoolander, so but it's it's kind of true.
0: Yeah, it, no, it so is. And the reason why I found balance was because I had, when I was in recovery from my eating disorder, I had to come to terms with imperfection. You know, that my body is not always going to look the way that I want it to or the way the world wants it to. But guess what? I don't really care because my body's working and it's healthy and it saved my life. So when I came to that understanding with my body, then I had like an epiphany where I was like, whoa, what if I applied this sort of balance to every aspect of my life and that's when my life started to change and it's it's been a, a a journey but it's been beautiful and healing you know it's not make it's there's a lot of people that aren't happy with the story i'm telling right now but that's okay too because I'm standing in
1: my truth. Yeah, and I was going to ask about that, which is that the idea of recovery, there are various forms of recovery that you can seek in various treatments and processes that are defined by the individual, that it's not one size fits all. Other people have different ways of Mm -hmm. doing certain things. But one of the things that I've always been a little bit concerned about, certainly from stories that I've heard from people who have been through various moments of recovery, is that there's this underlying sense sometimes of guilt, like a, like a guilt mechanism of like if you don't do it this way right it's so hardline that it that it can mm-hmm. actually be challenging for some people and i wonder whether you felt that at times
0: being a perfectionist if i wasn't perfect 100% of the time i felt such guilt that i wanted so dealing with severe depression my entire life my mind doesn't go to when my mind, when I, when I would get guilty, when I would feel guilty or shame about something. And I think there's an important thing to decipher. I think shame is what you're talking about. Guilt can teach us something.
1: So check this out. I use the word guilt because shame is such a killer.
0: Yeah, it is. It's, there's no benefit.
1: It's a stone cold killer that you're at. You call me and you're right. I totally meant shame. And and the reason and the reason why I said guilt, I said guilt was because I didn't I didn't want to throw that term in there because it is a it's a yeah it's a big term shame
0: it's a different it's a totally different word and it's a different beast and I think right. even by being careful of which word you said like that's being compassionate and empathetic for me by like not placing shame straight onto me trying which I think is it, yeah that's that's impactful and and beautiful but I I think that like. When I feel shame or when I used to feel shame, I would go to such a dark place that my mind didn't my mind wasn't thinking of it was going to very drastic you know measures and I, go, I
1: get it man I, I go there like if I feel it i think it's i think it's the, i think it's the lowest point of misery
0: yeah, and it doesn't help when you're in the public eye like us, and when I have shared some of my struggles with people. They use it kind of against you on social media. And so it that like that was also another like oof, factor because it's just it doesn't help. You to I don't need the internet to shame me on top of myself. Don't worry. I'm do I
1: doing a good enough job of that on my own. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think when you put so much pressure on yourself to stay perfect, to remain perfect, especially like for for me having known that like i had f- remained perfect for 6 years in sobriety um it was hard to to jump back on that train and also knowing that like it didn't work for me and i had to find something that it did so um yeah it's it's been an interesting path but I, a song that that talks about it a lot on my album is california sober and it's like it, you know it's a term that like heard from some friends and we kind of just coined it as like to describe the middle path, the balance of all of it. Because Mm -hmm. it my perfectionism gets me into trouble. So much so that I will lose my life over it, whether it's from an eating disorder or whether it's trying to remain perfect. Because if
1: you'll never live up to your own expectation and when you can't, guess what? Who fucking cares? I may as well go completely the other direction.
0: And that's what I kept that's what I did when I first relapsed when I first decided not to be sober anymore after six years I said who cares and that's why I ended up where I did so having compassion for myself understanding that it's a journey that that I don't have to count my time to feel secure and the growth and the progress I've made that's important to me
1: that term who cares is powerful, right? Check this out. We all throw that around in everyday lingo. We go, who cares? Who cares? It's actually a cry who for cares? help. It's actually a cry for help. That's what it is. Yeah. It's a cry for help. You know, we, we, we trivialize it, but it's actually saying like, who cares? Like who actually cares right now? And you, you, you wow. captured that moment on anyone like so perfectly. You, Thank you. Sam, the people who you worked with <laughs> on that just phew, got it in a bottle and put it in the ocean and send it out there. It's amazing. Thank
0: you.
1: And I, I sort of wonder like coming from that place where at the age of 11, 12, you got two sources of security, you got your family security. We've never talked about that. And you've got your mm-hmm. social security and that wasn't there for you. No. So you're left asking the question, right? Who cares? Like who is there? Yeah. Tr- major trust issues.
0: And, and also, you know, I think even, The beautiful thing about healing is that when people see you heal, they want to heal themselves. And so it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, you know, I've heard this term in in AA many times attraction rather than promotion. It's true. It's like, if you want to help people, you got to lead by example to a certain degree. Like, don't put pressure on yourself, but make choices that other people will want to make for themselves as well. Mm -hmm. And when I look back at that time in my life, I didn't have my family support because they were all going through their own stuff. You know, my little sister was two. My mom had a two year old. She also has openly talked about her struggles with um, substance and eating issues. So yeah, like I didn't have a lot of support at that time, but when I did end up getting help later in life, so did they. And I now have my family back.
1: And what's that relationship like now?
0: My family's amazing. I love them so much. My mom came over just the other night, I think Sunday night, and she hung out till like one in the morning, just hanging out with me and and my cousin and my best friend. and It was just great, you know, to have a mom that like can hang, you know, but also I tell everyone like my mom is, if they need an LA mom, she'll be their surrogate mom for them. Because she's just so
1: cute. It must have been so terrifying. I mean, I'm a parent. You know, my wife and I have two boys. And the, the minute that happens, the second that happens, you know, you just become protectors. It's like you just instinct kicks in hard, you know. Talk about the lesson in letting go. Like, there ain't no letting go. You got to really work at that because you immediately wanted to control every piece of your environment out of the source of protection, right? You know, for your mom and your parents to see you go through so much pain and for it ultimately for it ultimately to end up with you being in intensive care on the verge of death is every parent's worst nightmare. Have you been able to heal through that with your mom and through your parents and been able to to sort of fi- find a pathway through that because that is severely traumatizing for everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think we've done a lot of talking about it, a lot of healing over the past. I mean, it's been almost 3 years now. So, there's been a lot of healing that's been done, you know, with my family, a lot of rebuilding of trust that I had to do for a period of time and but it's ultimate it's been for the better and and i have their support today and they have mine and it and it's beautiful
1: your body saved your life it's amazing man when we think about it we're so we're so mean to a lot of the time we're so mean to our physical experience
0: you're talking (laughs) to somebody that literally made herself throw up for years like yeah i am so i look back at my you know, I had actually said, uh, or my, one of my doctors had said, had you been going through your eating disorder at the time of your overdose, you may not have survived. So it's very, it was, I look back at my life and I'm like, thank God I decided that January to stop caring so much about what I eat and what I look like because I was, a, a, you know, a little bit healthier than even months before that
1: you got an angel on your shoulder or a few
0: I've heard i have 7 my healer literally told me there's 7 she counted them i was like cool
1: <laughs> yeah you, you got you, you got to foster that relationship all, at, at all times
0: for sure i connected yesterday with them
1: i you know i've i'm deeply into yoga now <laughs> Deeply love cool. it. Oh, it's amazing. I love it. It's, 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 the, it's the only exercise I know that goes by real quick. Yeah. Meditation, though, varying degrees of success on a good day, fully engrossed. Hard. Totally. Really challenging, right? Hard.
0: It's challenging. So, the way that I started with meditation was I started listening to sleep meditations. Like, I was really struggling with sleep. And so, I kept thinking, you know, what is it that's going to help me? And I downloaded all these apps and one that really worked for me was Insight Timer. So I started listening to sleep meditations and then then I like started looking at sleep meditations and made my own playlist and then after that like I decided I feel so good like it was seeping in subconsciously over a month and my emotions like my I just felt so much better and I it was it wasn't even that hard because I was just sleeping, you know, but it, but it helped me so much that I was like, I want to try this during the day. So I started meditating during the day and I kid you not in 2019, I couldn't meditate for five minutes. Yeah. When I tell you like yesterday, I meditated for 40 minutes straight and it flew by. Like I thought it was 10 minutes. I literally was shocked when I opened my eyes. It's just, it depends. And it ebbs and flows just like any, just like life. You know, I think there's certain things that help me when I'm a little more tired. I, I meditate better when I have a lot of energy. It's really hard to like sit still. So, yeah, it just depends. But, you know, some days you're going to go to the gym and have a hard day working out. It doesn't make you less strong than the day before.
1: This is really fascinating, Demi. You know, just talking to you at this point, we've only gotten to know each other in the last couple of years. It would be disingenuine for me to say that I knew enough of what you were going through at times when you were really going through it before we met to truly know how to relate. But to have seen you go from when we first met, which actually we weren't even having an interview. We just met at Apple Music mm-hmm. and you, were, you just seemed so distracted. You were like... I don't quite know what I'm doing with my energy, with my, I don't know where I'm looking at or what I'm doing. And I just didn't want to be a part Mm -hmm. of that distraction. So I was just got in and got out. Mm -hmm. And then we met, we had an interview and it's like to see you so centered Mm -hmm. and it's such an incredible space is, is amazing. How important has making this album been to getting you here?
0: Well, it's not just been the album, you know, I, the documentary was extremely important too. The documentary helped tell my story. And I like to say that the album is like the unofficial soundtrack. To my documentary because it tells my story in a more intimate and poetic way than my documentary does. You know, my documentary is very factual and this is where I really get to shine in sharing my story so that people already know what I'm talking about. They're not left like, oh, what does this line mean? It's like, well, I talk about it in my documentary. It's pretty obvious that when I'm talking about a white line it's not.
1: Yeah. Cause otherwise that ambiguity is like, it's not a marketing tool. It's not like, oh, she said white line. What's she mean by that? And, and then everyone writes about it. And the whole thing just takes on a life of its own.
0: It's like, here's my skeletons in my closet. You know, exactly what these songs are about, but now you get to see my poetic spin on it. And so, um, it's a, it's been so healing and cathartic for me sharing my story and even sharing parts of my story that I had never shared before specifically in the third episode of the documentary um sharing that was so therapeutic for me more so than like it was something I've never talked about before and I just feel so much lighter after being able to to talk about that and and then like I don't know there's like I said that the song California Sober on my album too like this song, to me, explains the middle path that I'm on.
1: And what is that? What is that? Let's talk about California sober because it sounds like I've been California sober my whole life. <laughs> so I want to, I want to <laughs> know sort of what, what what is that to you? Like, is that what, what is it, what are the what are the boundaries right now that make you feel like you're being your authentic self in a way that whilst you can't control the outcome of life, you can take some responsibility for the moment you're in. Difference?
0: Yeah, I think that like. For me, it's important that I don't specifically draw the boundaries for the world to place their opinions on me. And, good answer. Fair enough. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's important. You're right. But for the most part, I like to, I, I like to throw the word green out there. If it's yeah. green, it's good with me. And <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. It's, you know, it's like, it's that. And, and I'm not, I'm keeping it very vague because it is just my own interpretation of it. Yep. And other people have their own interpretation of it for them, just like just like how I was how you were saying it's not a one size fits all solution. You're right.
1: And you know what? Say say no more. You know why? Because just even in this conversation, which stopped being an interview after about 30 seconds for me at least. <laughs> yeah, totally. But even in, in the in the framework of this conversation, I couldn't help but be drawn into this. What does that mean? Just even out of curiosity. And you're right. It's like right. that's the shit that gets people into trouble anyone into trouble Mm -hmm. if I have to start explaining what I'm doing in my life, that is yours. The, the concept of privacy, have you reclaimed it? Can you do that even after living a life in public service for so long?
0: Um, look, I, I think the thing, if the thing about celebrities is like once you're famous, people always know your face unless you get older and it changes and you've dipped out of the spotlight and then you can really be incognito. But like for the most part, if you have been, you know, in the public eye, you can't really get away from that unless you change your face. And I'm not doing that. So (laughs) I'm like, I just, I don't like go to places other than like Nobu, because that's the only restaurant that you can, that's really nice outdoors during COVID. Other than that restaurant, there's no place that I go that has paparazzi. Right. I've never really been one of those paparazzi, tabloid magnets because I, I, well, one, I've never had that Britney Spears level of fame. And two, I also just like, don't chase it and don't look for it. I think some people who maybe don't have that level of fame, but have all that paparazzi, it's kind of obvious.
1: But it's, yeah, no, there's, I'm sure there's deals and relationships and all kinds of back channeling going on. At least there was in the past. I don't know what the relationship is like now. Yeah, there
0: was in the past. I don't even know about that stuff today if it still goes on.
1: But you know, it's funny because I wonder where an artist like, like, or an era like the Britney, Christina, Justin, that whole era fit into your idea of what was possible, your dreams. Because what's been fascinating about the Framing Britney documentary is just the way it pulled the Pulled the plaster off that wall, and it was like, "Whoa, look what's behind the wall here!" This shit was really messed up, and everybody got it wrong. Like anyone who was drawn into that salaciously got it wrong, and that's what's been fascinating about that well, moment.
0: I didn't see the documentary, but I did live my own story, and I and I watched my peers live their stories as well, which was very weird. For I called it Disney High because my my peers were my only peers were other people on the Disney channel. And it was like, it was weird. You know, we all dated each other. We all hung out together and we had feuds and it was weird. And it was like high school, but ours was on a platform with social media that had never existed before. So now we're like, now I'm like, and there's camera phones. That was something nobody had to worry about 10 years prior, you know, camera phones, if, if I was a Disney kid at a party, I could not be seen with a red cup, no matter what was in it. If I had Coca-Cola or a Jack and Coke, I couldn't be seen with that Coca-Cola because nobody knew what was in the contents of the red
1: cup and the red cup kind of symbolized it. So be on your best behavior at all times.
0: All times, everywhere you go, never be seen f***ing up. And that's a lot of pressure on a no, 15, 16 sh- 16- <laughs> Yeah. Especially one that was like as wild as I, like I'm a very free spirit and that's why I don't tame my, my colorfulness anymore. You know, I think I, I diluted myself for years by wearing so much black and by trying to fit the molds of what other people wanted from me. But now like I have the most colorful—I mean, you can't see because this isn't the most colorful room in my house—but I do have such a colorful house, and and I am—I embrace myself to to the fullest, including my queerness, which you know, for a, a period of time, was hard for me to come to terms with because I grew up Christian and in the South, and right. it's not super accepted there. So, um, talk about shame, you know. Yeah, so yeah. now, I guess I'm the most colorful happy version of me that i've always wanted to be
1: that's a great way to end it right on time i mean i could keep talking all oh day. wow
0: it was
1: <laughs> you know I, I i genuinely didn't come into this with any agenda i love the playlist and i did all my research on the music and was like wow demi's got the deepest taste but
0: oh cool see that's i literally screenshot like everything that i've been listening to over the past like couple of months and then put it all on one playlist like
1: this art the record is crazy you love sid of course you do victoria Monet, of oh, course. course you do Alame, of a lot course. of incredible r&b so amazing chill out some norwegian Toby it's, oh. mm-hmm.
0: Toby and, and what
1: about this this nina cobham record this manchester this manchester r&b artist i've never even heard of so good Where are you getting this music from? Where are you getting, where are you finding this stuff?
0: I I look at a lot of playlists and also just like my friends have really good taste in music. We're, We're constantly sharing stuff. Even my, one of my best friends lives with me. Her name's Susie. And, and sometimes we just put on music and we listen to music for hours or we play music, but it's just dope to have, you know, friends that appreciate music the way that I do. You know what I didn't put on that playlist because I didn't feel like it fit, but I feel like you would appreciate. Are you familiar with the Psychedelic Shack album by The Temptations? Oh, are you kidding me?
1: Wild. Are
0: you? It's so good, and I just discovered this like a couple months ago, and I'm like playing it for everyone, and they're like, "Wait, they have a, a trippy like for The Temptations," and I'm like, "I know, I didn't know that that was the thing Don't either." Be fooled by the
1: hits. Anything between the years of 1972 and 1974 is f***ed up. That's all you got to look for is the year on the record. That's all you got to look for. It's been great talking with you. Good to see you, Demi. You stay well. You too.
0: Thank you. You too. Bye, Zane.
1: Another fascinating conversation with Demi Lovato. Thanks for listening. Please feel free to rate any of the conversations that you hear. And if you haven't yet, then please follow the series. Thanks again.